0: Welcome to Warning Signs, Amen. I got three people excited. This is the third week. This is going to be a a a long journey. We're gonna. This is our fall sermon series, and we are going to be taking a lot of uh, truths that probably isn't preached from a lot of pulpits, and we're going to be making it very plain. I'm not going to be uh, extremely preachy during this series. I'm going to be more in a mode of teaching because I want to break down things that a lot of preachers don't address from pulpits, and I want to make them very plain to you. I don't want things hidden and shrouded in mystery because that's not when you receive. You receive when things are made plain and built precept upon precept. And that's what I'm going to do in this series. If you want uh, more deep, more revelation, come to Sunday nights on Super Sundays. We go deeper then, and we get more preachy then. But during this series, I've explicitly asked the Lord to help me connect with you in in the mode of a teacher. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to do something this morning we, we used to do all the time, but because of the way I frame my sermons... We don't get a chance to do it as much as we used to. Uh, Our text this morning is out of Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and you like to follow along in the Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn there. But I'm also asking you to stand for the reading of the Word. We don't do that a lot anymore because a lot of times my Word comes either sprinkled throughout the message or comes a little later in the message. But this morning, the first thing we're going to do is read our passage. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. As Jesus came up out of the water, he's being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. What you need to know about this passage is this is the crowning moment of Jesus' ministry. This is when he is ordained in front of everyone, and the knowledge is now being released that he is the Messiah. He's 30 years old. He's he's lived a, a long time already, but... Everything was hidden until this moment. And his cousin, John the Baptist, who was the preacher of the age, everybody knew John, is now baptizing him in the Jordan. So when he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Look at your neighbor and say, that's pretty gentle. Okay, the Holy Spirit... Now, I know a lot of times we use that picture of a dove. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit came down as a dove. It says like a dove, which means the Spirit descended, but it was gentle. The reason I want you to pay attention to that is because of what happens next. Verse 11, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. The King James Version says, in whom I am well pleased. Verse 12, the Spirit then compelled Jesus To go into the wilderness. Stop. That's the same spirit that just descended gently like a dove. Now it's being forceful. It's the same spirit. The one that came with comfort is now, look what it says, compelling Jesus to go into the wilderness. Where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out... Among the wild animals and angels took care of him. I'm going to read that part again. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Our sermon this morning is titled, Don't Feed the Animals. Mm-hmm. Don't Feed the animals. Before you're seated, won't you tell two or three people you're glad to see them in God's house, but don't feed the animals? Uh huh. Don't feed the animals. We're going to work on that idea all morning. This series is called Warning Signs. I'm going to explore a lot of different warning signs uh, in this series. A lot of it is going to be, um, I don't really know how to say it any other way, it's going to be in your face. Uh, I intentionally have chosen this passage this morning to set the stage for where this series is. going to be going to. This series is going to get in your face. There's going to be a lot of things that we are going to confront. My wife and I just taught uh, on Real Talk Wednesday night, uh, if you were there or if you called it later on replay, we talked about making choices. This series is going to be a master's course in decision making. It's going to be confronting you, why you've made the decisions you've made in your life, and How to make better decisions going forward. Warning signs. You need to know how to read the warning signs. We started out this series talking about the warning signs of the end of the age. We'll get back to that in a few weeks. How to read the warning signs of what's going on in the world, in the environment, in the atmosphere, in the spirit realm. Know how to read those. But but we get so caught up in church about reading spiritual things, that we don't pay attention to the things that are plain and right in front of our face and we make bad choices followed by terrible choices followed by prayers for God to clean up the mess that we made out of our life am I talking to anybody this morning in this passage this morning I want you to know that you know very little about Jesus's life for about 18 years when he was about 12 years old he was caught down to temple teaching in the temple, in the synagogue. And and beyond that, we know very little about his life for 18 years. Now his cousin John has pointed him out of the crowd. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He baptizes him in the River Jordan. And this is the beginning of his ministry. This is his public ordination. This is a crowning achievement. This is a high point. This is a revival Super Sunday service. This is a moment where he feels exasperated. He feels illuminated. He he feels that the energy of the Holy Ghost is all in him. You know that feeling. You know what it's like to come to church and really have one of those moments with God where the Holy Spirit just gets all through you and and, and makes you feel like you can walk on water. Let let me put it to you this way. There's a ride uh, at Disneyland and Disney World. We've been to both and we've rode it at both parks. And I don't mean to trigger anybody who's sensitive or you might get squeamish. But there's a roller coaster there that is just like every other roller coaster. You go up, you go down. It has twists and turns. and There's sudden drops and and you make quick, sharp turns. But the difference in this roller coaster named Space Mountain and a lot of other roller coasters is this one is done almost entirely in the dark. So, So... when you are making all of these sudden gyrations and movements, you can't see what's coming next. Can I tell you that I've lived enough days to find out life is like that? There's highs, there's lows, there's ups, there's downs. One minute you're heading straight and everything feels good, and the next second the bottom drops out. You are screaming for dear life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're screaming, you're crying, you're upside down, you're flipping, you're flopping. And, but here's the problem with life. Just like a roller coaster, once you're strapped in, you're stuck. Listen, you just have to deal with it. Once you pull out of the gate, your ride is no longer in your hands. Somebody say amen. You can't stop the ride just because you don't like it. Every time I've ever rode a roller coaster, I hear somebody saying, stop this thing. But once it pulls out of the gate, it is no longer your choice to make. If you lose appreciation for the thrill, it don't make any difference. You are strapped in until this ride comes to a complete stop. If you get afraid, they won't stop the ride. If you cry, if you feel sick, none of that makes any difference. The ride is going to last as long as it lasts. And you just have to ride it into the end, and you can't control it. And in a congregation this big, there's some up people we got two married people up here that just got married and they are up, up, up. They're just full of expectations and excitement and they're ready for anything. And in the same congregation why are y'all laughing like that? And why is it mainly the married or the divorced people laughing like that? In the same congregation congregation We got down people. Them people have their heads pinned to the back of that seat. They are not excited. They are screaming their heads off like they have lost their minds. And they are asking with every breath, how long will this take? How long will this take? How long will this take? But if you wait long enough, you're going to switch places. That's why you should never judge a down person when they are in their season of down. <laughs> because hear me, and this will help you, you never stay in one place forever. The season will last longer than you want it to, but it will never last forever. You're going to switch places because where their car is in the ride, your car will eventually t- trade places with them. So when you're up and their car is down, By the time you come back around the track, you're going to be in their position. So don't ever look at their down season and judge them, because one day you'll switch spots. And here in Jesus' story, the, the reason I brought this to your attention is the comforting spirit that we all love. We love when the spirit is comforting like a dove. That comforting spirit became a moving, driving force that takes him into the wilderness. That's not how you pray when you ask, Holy Spirit, come. Because what you really mean is, come down and make my husband shut up. Come down, make my boss sweet. Come down and give me an excitement and take my down season to make me up. That's what you pray when you say, Holy Spirit, come. But what I'm pointing out to you is sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not pleasurable. Because the... Holy Spirit that descended gently became a force that drove Jesus into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is undesirable. Let's get that out of the way. I'm not going to make dispersions this morning to you and make you feel like you should uh, appreciate the wilderness. The wilderness is not enjoyable. It is dry. It is parched. It's a dead place. Things don't grow there. They don't live there. And none of us enjoy being in the wilderness. But the same Spirit who confirmed his ministry and brought comfort and blessing to him, pushed him into a desert. And the Bible says immediately, once he got in the desert, he entered into a season of fasting, followed by a season of temptation. Being in God's will does not mean you get to skip the wilderness. No amens right there. We all say things like, if I had God's favor on my life, why did I lose my job? If I was as spiritual and if God is as good as he says he is, how come daddy got sick? Can I help you this morning? For every person that's been down, and while you were down, you started questioning the favor of God, the blessings of God, the word of God, your faith in God, and every one of us have been there. Can I help you and tell you that one has nothing to do with the other? You being down has nothing to do with God being good. You being down has nothing to do with heaven being full of provision. One has nothing to do with the other. Here's why. This is not every down person in this room. This is not punishment. This is preparation. You can close your Bibles and go and, and take that word with you and say you've been in church this morning. Because you need, this is what I need to get you in your spirit. When you get down, when you become in a wilderness season, you feel like you're being punished. This is not punishment. I'm going to show you through this scripture, it is preparation. And I'm going to ask a question this morning that's probably going to hurt somebody's feelings. But I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a senior pastor for almost 25 years. I've been in ministry longer than that. And I have met all kinds of people who claim to be called to all kinds of things. I've had people come to me and say they're called to preach. I've, I've had people tell me they're called to pastor. They, they, people come up and say they're prophets. They're called to prophesy. I've heard people tell me that they are called to lead. But I have never had somebody come to me and tell me they feel called to suffer. Not one time I've ever heard somebody come to me and say, God is calling me into uncomfortable places. No, when we feel called, when we feel led, how come it's always to a blessed place? Because our mentality is if God's in it, it ought to be good. If God is behind it, it ought to bless me. But I'm showing you that even the Son of God did not escape the wilderness. Even Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit, pushed into a situation you or I would have crumbled in. And if Jesus couldn't escape it. Notice, at the end of 40 days, what did Jesus do for 40 days in the wilderness? He fasted. It was at the end of 40 days, Satan began the temptation. There's a difference between natural cravings and satanic temptation. There is a difference between natural craving and satanic temptation. We're going to break that down. Jesus has been doing what for 40 days? That means he is hungry. He is thirsty. He is emaciated physically. He's weak. We don't like to talk about Jesus like that, but it's fact. You can't go 40 days without bread and water and not be weak. Jesus is skin and bones, he's tired. Probably just wants to sleep all day. Some of you skip your afternoon snack. you got to take a nap. Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. He's alone. He's dehydrated. He's emaciated. And all of a sudden, in that state, that's when the devil comes knocking. He did not attack him at the River Jordan when he was baptized. He didn't even attack him in the middle of his fast, and I'll show you why in a moment. It was at the end of the fast the devil comes knocking. So, why at the end of the fast? I I wondered about this for years, and then I got to remembering the law of fasting in the Old Testament, and I realized the devil knew Jesus had too much integrity to break a fast. Had he come on day 21 and tempted him from turning stones to bread, Jesus could have said, I'm not going to do that. I won't break my fast. But notice the timing of the devil. He comes when it's legal for Jesus to eat. When he didn't have to make an excuse to eat. It would have been okay for Jesus to eat. And here's what the devil says. Use the power you have. Use what's in your hand to satisfy your need. There's a difference between carnal, natural needs and satanic temptation. Listen to what he says. He says, use your power to satisfy your physical need. Turn something that is not into something that you want. Is this getting over y'all's head or is it just making you mad? Because y'all are quiet. Quiet. And you know when you get quiet to a southern boy, it's like saying sick him to a coon dog. (laughs) Turn something that ain't into something you want. Does that sound familiar to anybody? you quiet because you're sitting beside the thing you tried to turn into something else. Hello? That thing sitting beside you wasn't bred when you married it. You knew it was a rock. You took the rock home. You had folks telling you even at the wedding ceremony, you sure about this? You know it's a rock, right? And you said, I'm going to turn this stone into bread. That's my plan. I'm going to fix this rock. I know it's a rock now, but wait till I get a hold of it. I'm going to press it, and it's going to turn into a diamond. Mm -hmm. How'd that work out for you? Driving to work, thinking about going home to that rock, coming to church, praying to get loose from that rock. Y'all do not going to help me, but you know good and well, every one of us has took a rock job at some point. We took a rock home at some point. We started letting rocks slide in our DMs, and because they're cute rocks, we just overlooked the fact that they're rock head. Uh, seems like I, I'm, I'm stepping on something. Seems like if I fasted for 40 days, God would let me skip the wilderness. Man, it's quiet in here. Y'all mad at me already? This is going to be tough sledding for you because I'm going to preach it anyway. Listen, at the beginning of every year when, when all these churches, and we've done it too, when everybody's practicing the Daniel fast or the Ezekiel fast or the Richard Simmons fast or whatever fast that people are doing, there's always... A, a goal behind it, like we're going to fast and we're going to see supernatural breakthrough. We're going to fast and we're going to believe marriages be put back together. We're going to fast and healings go. There's always this goal, right? Because we believe that if we do this, God will do that. And it seems like because we have that mentality that if I fasted for 40 days, I'd get to skip the temptation. But it was at the end of the fast when the devil came. And by the way, by the way, when I'm in the wilderness fasting. Where is God anyway? Exactly where can I find God when I'm really hungry? When I have sacrificed for Him and I'm lonely? When when I know that when I come to church, I feel His presence, but at 2 o'clock in the morning, when I'm crying myself to sleep, where is He? It's all... Maybe I'll just testify. Y'all seem nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. So let me testify because there's been seasons of my life when I have said, God, I did this for you, I did that for you, I've done these things for you, and you drove me out into this wilderness, and now you ain't saying nothing. You got me out here. I feel obedient to you. I followed your spirit out here, and now I can't hear you. You gave me this marriage and then shut up? How am I supposed to deal with this? You gave me these kids and now you're not going to tell me how to raise them? What am I supposed to do? Where is this Holy Spirit that descended like a dove and then drove him out into the wilderness? Let me put it to you like this. What do you do when God is silent but the devil won't shut up? Jesus has just finished a fast he's just finished his ordination he's just finished a, a, a temptation season and the devil is talking but heaven is silent this doesn't make sense to me what do you do before when, when you haven't got out of this mess and you find yourself in another mess there are seasons where God won't talk a blue street to you and this is why I need to preach this message Because there's another reason you need to come to church, and it's not just so you can sing the latest songs or feel good about this Sunday, because a lot of the reason you come to church is not preparing you for today, it's preparing you for your next season. Because when you come to a church like this, you're getting word in you, and it's word that you may not need now, but you're going to need it later. And that word that is going to live inside of you, because make no mistake about it, this is a living word. And when it gets inside of you, it will be relevant to you in the season that you need to pull from it. So hear me, I'm going somewhere. When God is silent and He's not speaking to you, you need so much word inside of you that you can refer back to what He already said when He is not speaking to you in your current season. So so listen, that way when you are in a season when God's not speaking, you can reach into your gut and you can pull out a word that He already spoke to you and use it. God says, I'm not going to tell you anything new until you start living what I already taught you. Until you start utilizing what I've already put inside of you. Let me give you an example. God, where are you? Help me. And God says nothing. And you start doubting, does prayer even work? Does going to church even matter? Is God real? Or if he is real, how come he's ignoring you? Who told you he's ignoring you? Well, I called out to him. We're just saying it. I I sought the Lord and He heard and He answered. That's why I trust Him. But do you? Or do you only trust Him when you can hear Him? Because He told you before you got to this drowning season, God, I'm drowning. Well, before you got to the drowning season, God, I feel so much fire and intensity from hell. Well, he told you before you got into the season, when you passed through the floods, y'all not going to help me. He said, before you started drowning, I gave you a word. And that word said that when you pass through the floods, I will be with you. When you pass through the flames, because I'm with you, they will not consume you. Because God is telling you in those moments, quit asking me to show up. I already told you I would be there when you got... I gave you that word so that when you needed it, you could pull it out. So, So you have to have the faith to believe he's with you because he told you before you got there. When you get there... I'll meet you. So he's with you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's with you. Yeah. He ain't saying nothing, but he's with you. He's not giving you new revelation, but he's with you. He ain't going to snatch you out of it, but he's with you. You may cry yourself to sleep, but he's with you. Things may get worse before they get better, but make no mistake about it, he is with you because he wouldn't have drove you into it if he wasn't going to snatch you out of it because he's been with you all the way. Is there anybody in this room that can praise him even though he ain't talking to them right now? He ain't saying nothing, but you can still praise him. Yeah. Is there anybody that can praise him when it don't make no sense to praise him? When, when he's not telling you to rejoice and you're going to rejoice in it? Is there anybody in the house that's going to praise God no matter how empty you feel, no matter how broken this season is, you're still going to give God some praise? Hallelujah. See, you have to remember that word that he already spoke to you. Let's go back to third grade. For some of y'all, it's a long trip. Why do you take a test? When you're in school, why does the teacher give you a test? It's to close the book and see how much you remembered. When God isn't talking to you, it's because he's closed the book. He wants to see how much of his instructions... You have remembered. See, you don't, you don't understand. Anybody can praise him after they eat. Anybody can praise him when the wilderness is over. But can you praise him when you're still hungry? When you are up under attack, can you still praise him? When you are barely getting by and barely surviving, can you still praise him? Can you stay with Job even though he slay me, yet will I serve him? Is that in your heart? Now, the enemy comes against Jesus with everything he has. I'm going to tell you something. The enemy does not attack you the way he attacked Jesus. Jesus is in the wilderness face-to-face with the devil. You ain't never been face-to-face with the devil. He doesn't have to tempt you face-to-face. He tempts you with Gus's goodies, Krispy Kreme. He tempts you with a wink and some long eyelashes from her at work. He tempts you with stuff. He don't have to roll over out of bed to get you tempted. But he is face-to-face With the devil himself. But here's the thing about this passage. It gives us insight into everything the devil has to use against us. Are you ready to learn something? The devil comes to Jesus and says, If you're the son of man, turn these stones into bread. He hadn't ate in 40 days. The fast is over. Yes? Yes? And he has the power to turn stones to bread. And it was at this moment, know this. This is the passage of the Bible that taught me Jesus is not Pentecostal. And he ain't Baptist. Because if he was, we would have turned that whole mountain into a Texas roadhouse roll. And every fallen log on it would have been a slab of that honey butter running right down the middle of it. Oh, yeah, the fast is over, baby. Let me show you what I can do. <laughs> we, <laughs> we would have been eating, gorging ourselves until we were sick on bread. But what Jesus did was reach down into his reservoir and said, it is Written. I, I'm going to tell you something right now that's going to be very important in two weeks in this sermon, as long in this series, as long as the Lord lets me preach it the way I want to. The fast prepared the flesh. The word fought the enemy. I, I need you to get that because in, in about two weeks I'm going to I'm going to teach a, a whole I'm going to teach a basically a whole sermon that's going to be wrapped around this idea. The flesh was brought under submission by the fast. He did not use the fast to fight the devil. He used the fast to fight himself. That way, when he had to fight the devil, he had gotten himself out of the way. And too many of us ain't prepared to fight the devil because we don't even know who the real enemy is. So we are swinging at ourselves. we're swinging at each other, we're swinging at ghosts, we're fighting the devil, and we don't even know who the real enemy is because we have never gotten our flesh behind us. So when the enemy shows up, we don't even know who it is that we're really in combat with. There's dual enemies going on here. One is the flesh nature, one is the influence of Satan. But he don't use the fast against the devil, he uses the word against the devil and the fast against his flesh. So the reason I bring that up is because the next thing that Satan does is he shows him the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all you have to do is bow down and worship me and everything you see will be yours. You know what he was doing? He was trying to get Jesus... Hear me, this is going to be very important. You've never, you've never heard this. I, I, never, I never saw this before. As many times I've, I've, I've preached on this Seriously, this passage, I've never seen it. You know why the devil did that? He was trying to get Jesus to break the law. Do you know why you're broken and dysfunctional? Because you keep breaking the law. God says don't and you do. God says, don't go here, and you go there. He says, give give yourself the mind of Christ, but you keep a mind of carnality. And you keep breaking the law and breaking the law and breaking the law. And so you are constantly in need of Jesus and his redeeming power to overcome what is broken in you. We're all broken. That's why Jesus came. And what the devil was trying to do was get Jesus to break the law. Because if Jesus breaks the law, then he becomes a victim to the law. And that means when he goes to the cross, he can't pay the penalty of the law, and we are all undone because Jesus sinned. If Jesus becomes a victim to the law, he can't overcome the law. He is trying to get Jesus to take the easy way out. He's trying to get Jesus to do things the easy way. He says, you see all these kingdoms? I'll give them to you. All that you see, I will give to you. And you don't have to go die. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to go through all that torment and them hardships. I'm going to give you a shortcut. How many times in your life, Christian, has the devil came to you and whispered in your ear, you don't have to suffer like this. I'll give you a shortcut. How many times? How many times have you fallen for this trick? How many times has the enemy came to you? When you are in great need, great despair, when you're physically worn out, when you're spiritually depleted, when you are emotionally drained, he comes to you and he says, hey, 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 why are you putting yourself through this? Why are you suffering like this? Come here, come here, let's, let's talk. I'll show you a shortcut. You're doing things the hard way. Let me show you, let me show you an easier way out. How many times have you fallen victim to that? He's trying to show Jesus a way to get what he wants without having to sacrifice what he has. And he does the same thing to you. You're lonely and you want a relationship. So he shows you one that don't require sacrifice. Man is quiet in here. First church of the Presbyterian frozen chosen up here this morning. You're lonely, you you want a relationship, you're praying for one, the devil brings you one where you don't have to sacrifice. It's the first person that comes along that makes you feel good about yourself and you're willing to jump over all the word that's been in you, all the sacrifice you're supposed to make, all the things you know to be true, you're willing to jump over it to satisfy this need you have right now. He says, come here, shh, come here. I'll give you a shortcut. Look how cute he is. He's got six-pack abs. Where do you find them at anymore? He's got baby blue eyes, and look at them natural long eyelashes. And, baby, he is digging you. Where are you going to find another man like this? In church? You're not going to find a man like this in church. All them guys in church are nerdy. Still living with a mama? That You ain't going to find no man like this at church. You're not going to find no girl at the church like this. Your wife doesn't appreciate you. She appreciates you. Listen to all them ways that she tells you how much she appreciates you. She's better to you than your wife is. Come here, I'll give you a shortcut. A shortcut to happiness. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to put anything on the back burner. You don't have to say, I'll wait. You can have it right. Now, how many times has the devil played the same game He's ran this game on you. He's done it on me. He always shows you an easier way that you don't have to sacrifice to get what you want. So how many times does he tell us, oh, you're gonna, oh, I see. You're gonna you're gonna pass on a real live man that you can touch because you love a Jesus man that you can't even see. That don't make sense. I have seen young women come to church for years and they love Jesus until somebody else catches their attention. And then they remove Jesus from the equation to chase a man who they can hold. I've seen men come to church and serve on church boards and sing on praise teams and even preach the gospel. But because his wife was not what he wanted all the time and give him everything he wanted, he would leave his wife and kids and chase another woman and give up God and sacrifice his whole life because of something that he desired in the moment. And the devil is always doing that in your ear, saying, Shh, come here, you're making this too hard. I can give you what you want right now. And Jesus showed us the way. He reached down into that, that reservoir and said, It is written. You came too late. I already know what the Word told me. I already know what the Word says. You can't lie to me, devil. You can't tempt me with something I have no taste for. Temptation only has an effect when you want something. And if you are in church but hungry for the world, that's your problem. Because it won't be long before you're eating at the devil's buffet. (sighs) He takes him up to a pinnacle again, and he tempts him again. You know how he tempts him this time? He looks at Jesus and says, it is written. He said, throw yourself off of here. Because it is Don't you ever think the devil don't know the word? He says, it is written that if you throw yourself off, the angels will not let you dash your foot, and they will come and rescue you. The angels, keep that in mind. The angels will come and rescue you. It is He's using the word to pervert his method. God, I'm teaching you a whole lot. He's using God's word in a twisted way to disguise his method of getting Jesus off track. And if he can do it to Jesus, do you have enough word in you to keep him from doing it to you? Because this is what he said. He said, Jesus, show off. Show me what you got, Jesus. Throw yourself off this high place. I mean, after all, if you're the son of God, you know the angels by name. Show off. Show me what you got. Before you hit the ground, I bet daddy will send angels to scoop you up and you won't even get hurt. But just go ahead. Do a parlor trick for me. Show off a little bit. That's called the pride of life. And anytime you feel the need to impress people with what you have or how smart you are or what you can do, that's him talking through you. You know who's influencing your thoughts and your words and your deeds when the pride of life starts talking out of your mouth. But here's the good news. Are you ready for some good news? I beat you up long enough. Here's the good news. Those three things that he pulled on Jesus, that's all the enemy has. You think the enemy's very complex, but he's very, very simple. Are you ready for me to teach you a thing? He has three things to use against us. Here's what John tells us. You've got the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eye and the pride of life. And that's it. It, That's it. Oh, no, he he tempts me with drugs. That's the lust of the flesh. Uh, He tempts me with, with adultery. That's the lust of the flesh. He tempts me with getting more and working harder and working more so I can have more and have more. That's the lust of the eye. That's the pride of life. This is all the devil has. John told us that the only thing the devil has is these three things. And he used all three of them against Jesus. He said, the lust of the flesh, Jesus, you're hungry. Turn these stones to bread. That's the lust of the flesh. He appealed to the lust of the flesh. The second thing he tempted him with was the lust of the eye. He says, look at these kingdoms of this world. I'll give them all to you. That's the lust of the eye. Then he took him up on the high place. He said, throw yourself off. I bet bet daddy won't even let you die. That's the pride of life. That's the same thing he used on Eve. Oh, you don't believe me? He tempted Eve with the exact same thing. The lust of the flesh, the Bible says she looked at the tree and it was good for food. The lust of the eye, she looked at the tree and it was pleasant to the eye. The pride of life, the Bible says that she looked at that tree and she had a desire to know what God knew. He used the same tools on Jesus that he used on Eve. But Eve bit, and Jesus did not. And because Jesus didn't, you don't have to. I preached all morning to get right here. Jesus rebuked him with a simple phrase. It is written. The problem is, if you don't know the word, you got nothing to fight with. When he brings these three things to you, if you don't have the word inside of you, you have nothing to guard yourself with. You have to fight the enemy with the word. You know how I know that? Because I tried everything else. I cried and I didn't whoop him. I beat my head against the floor and he did not lay down and quit. I told him that I was through and it didn't make any difference. I have screamed until I don't have any le- air left in my lungs and my voice is shot. And it did not make the devil quit. He didn't quit because I I, I gave in. He didn't quit because I stopped going forward. I quit church and he kept Y'all not going to help me. See, I I quit the ministry about 5,000 times since I started preaching. But it didn't make any difference because the enemy didn't let up on me. uh, See, see, the only thing that makes the devil, you can give in and he won't quit. You can give up and he won't quit. You can fight him with haymakers and uppercuts and he won't quit. But the only thing that makes the devil pay notice is when you say, devil, it is written. I'm not standing in front of you with my authority, but thus saith you got to get this Word in you. Uh huh. People don't get defeated because they want to quit. Listen to me. They're, you're surrounded by people who almost didn't make it to church, either this morning or last week or last month or last year, that you're surrounded by people. You don't know it because they look strong to you on the outside. But you don't know how close a lot of these people are to giving in, to quitting. You have no idea. You have no idea how close your neighbor is to disappearing from that seat and never coming back. But people don't quit. Hear me. I want, I want you to get sympathy for one another. Are you ready? We're a church that believes that everybody's somebody. Nobody's perfect. Hear me. People don't get defeated because they want to quit. They get defeated because they don't know how to fight. You see people drop out of church and you're like, well, they must have been weak. They didn't... F- no, it's, it's not because they want to quit. Who, who in their right mind wants to give up heaven for hell? Who in their right mind wants to follow the devil instead of Jesus? It's not because they, they want to quit. It's because they don't know how to fight. So they try to fight like Paul said. Paul said, I beat myself under submission. Like a runner trying to finish a race. He said, I... But you can only do that for so long. You you, you can only overcome yourself and the enemy by yourself for so long. And eventually you're going to run out of energy and strength and resources and you're going to fail. At some point you've got to have something stronger than you. You've got to be able to reach into the reservoir of your spirit and say, thus saith the Lord. It don't make any sense to me why this works. It doesn't, it does. I don't, I want to fight. I'm a fighter. You gotta understand. You don't know the BC me. You don't know the me that would soon slap the taste out of your mouth as a look at it. You don't understand I'm a fighter. If you come against me, whether you're the devil or the pope, I just want to fight. Yeah, my instinct is to fight, and it has been hard for me to learn how to not fight my own battles but to reach into the reservoir of what I've already been taught by him and say thus saith the Lord don't make any sense for me to fight cancer with the word but it's the only thing that works it don't make any sense for me to, to fight for a drug addicted son with the word but nothing else works it won't make any sense for you to fight for that marriage by just praying the word over that bedroom but nothing else will hold it together Can you give me verse 12 up here again? I'm going to land this plane. And the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the what? Into the wilderness. Let's just talk about that for a moment. Into the wilderness. Compelled him. It was... It was not him getting drunk that got him into the wilderness. Jesus didn't backslide and make a weekend's worth of bad decisions. He didn't steal from his boss. He didn't cheat on his wife. But he's in the wilderness. It wasn't Jesus' decision. The Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. And verse 13 says, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days, he was out among the wild animals. The King James Version says the wild beasts were there. In the same Location. We have a weary Savior who is weak in His body but spiritually powerful because of His fast. We have a beat-down, anemic, dehydrated Savior. A wilderness. The devil. And then the Bible takes time and this didn't make sense to me. He was out among the. Sounds like Jesus went to Cabela's. He's out among the wild animals. The Bible took time to point out, didn't say a word about the sand or the blistering heat, the cactuses, the tumbleweeds. I could have described a lot of things about the wilderness. And the Bible took time to say, Wild animals, wild animals was there. So in the same location, I've got a weary Savior, weak, dehydrated, skin and bones. I got a devil, I got the wilderness, and wild animals all going on at the same time. It is confusing when your life is the best of times and the worst of times all at the same time. It is confusing when work is going well and church is growing, but your kids are backslid. It is a confusing times when it is the best of times and the worst of times happening at the same time. Jesus is in a deeply spiritual place, but a physically incredibly dangerous Place. Tell me, what sense does it make for him to say he's in the wilderness with the devil? That makes sense. That that makes sense. Anybody ever been in the wilderness? You ever, you ever been in a wilderness season of your life? Okay, it makes sense for me to find a the devil there. Make makes sense. Makes sense because make, make sense that's, that's what I mean he loves me to get into a, a, a Desert season he loves for me to be in the wilderness Because that's when I'm weak And he come and tempt me I, That makes sense But that scripture about them wild animals Drove me batty And I was at Cabela's And I've been in that little section Back there a hundred times I don't go back there and look at them anymore Where the lions and the tigers and the bears On my are back there I was walking up the steps, going to the top, and I looked over, and I saw that area. And I was thinking, what it would be like if you were down there with them hyenas and them elephants and crocodiles? Like, everything in there can kill you. I looked at that section, and I went, they picked the worst stuff to put in there. Like, there's hardly any deer in that thing. Everything in there will kill you. I'm not surprised they don't have snakes hanging out of trees and stuff. Like everything in that old section will kill you. And I got to thinking, wait a minute. I got a wilderness. I got a devil. I got wild beasts. I'm going to give it to you in reverse order this time, see if it makes sense. I got a wilderness. I got a devil. I got wild beasts and an emaciated, dehydrated Jesus. Y'all still ain't getting it. Bro, Todd got it because he been to Cabela's too. I got a wilderness. I got a devil. I got wild beasts. And I got a savior who is physically about to die. I got a wilderness. I got a devil. Those two go together because when I'm spiritually in a wilderness, my spiritual enemy preys on my weakness. And while I'm in the wilderness and my body is emaciated and dehydrated, I have physical problems and there's physical enemies Wild animals licking their chops waiting for that body to fall to the ground so they can come and start picking the meat off of the bones. Jesus is not just in a spiritual battle. He is also facing physical enemies that are standing in His face growling, snarling, teeth raised, lips curled, waiting for Him, slobber coming off of their face, waiting for that body to hit that desert sand so they can come and start ripping the flesh off of that body. And I don't know how many of you have ever found yourselves in a situation like I have on more than one occasion where I knew that the enemy was in my presence. I wasn't away from them. I wasn't in church all the time. I could feel the enemy in my presence waiting for me to fall over, waiting for me to give up, waiting for me to break down, waiting on me to lose my mind. And they're sitting there with their out waiting to come and pick my bones but that devil is a lie and the enemy found out in the desert that where the presence of Jesus is when the presence of Jesus is in the wilderness the presence of Jesus did something to that wilderness That I can't explain and I can't wrap my mind around. Throw the scripture back up if you would. Because we're not done with it. There's a bunch of wild animals waiting to rip the meat off his bones. And the Bible says, When Jesus was too weak to fight off the lion... When Jesus was too weak to keep the bears at bay, I have fought. I've been 40 days. I'm weak. I'm dehydrated. I don't have the strength to fight these enemies off myself. The Bible says the angels came and took care. The angels came and took care of him when he had no strength left heaven sent reinforcements (laughs) when he didn't have the ability to keep the enemy from devouring him heaven sent back up and in the middle of the wilderness heaven showed up glory came down and when you are weak God is strong Every time you are so weak you don't think you can make it. The angels are coming. I just need to tell somebody in this room this morning the angels are coming. You've been in a desert season. You've been in a wilderness experience and you are weak and wore out and don't feel like you've got strength to fight. I need you to hear me this morning. Your angels are on the way. Your angels are coming. Every weak and weary soldier of the cross, your angels are coming. You can't give up now. You have fought too hard to get to this point. The angels are coming. Backup is on the way. And when you are weak, heaven is going to be strong for you. I know it feels like this season has no end, but I promise you, heaven's got backup on the way. Shh. The, you're not feeding the animals. You're not animal food. If God brought you to it, he's going to see you through it. They didn't say anything while he was being tempted. The angels were silent while he was fasting. But when the animals closed in and got ready to take Jesus down, heaven showed up. What's that, Holy Ghost? I can hear it's somebody's situation, I can hear Heaven's angels fluttering their wings. You don't see it, and you don't know it. It's hidden from your view. But in the spirit realm, Heaven's coming into your situation right now. As your faith rises, Heaven is showing up for you. If that's you, you better claim it for yourself. I can hear the sound of angel wings stepping into somebody's desert season. Right? You need to grab hold of this promise right now. I, I got to quit distracting you so you can get your mind on the Holy Spirit. somebody's coming out right now. Some, somebody is right now in the middle of a miracle and you don't even know it, it's been hidden from your view. they've been helping you this whole time and you didn't know it the reason that car wreck didn't kill you was cause the angels were there the reason you didn't die with that needle in your arm was because the angels was there let's take it another step the reason you got the promotion at work when there was other people more qualified was because angels showed up and they had more credentials but you had more favor Your angels are coming. Your angels are coming. Every week. depleted, empty child of God that's in this room. If you're not already standing on your feet, I want you to stand. Shedding that on a little Did I give you Psalm 47 and one? and give you Psalm 47 to 1. Shit. Oh, shit. Your angels are coming. Your angels are coming. The devil thought you was lunch. But the angels are coming. I read a story not long ago. Some of y'all are wondering why God's not talking to you in this season. why, Why He's quiet. I read a story not long ago of a woman who is deaf. And she said it's the greatest blessing she's ever received in her life. Because she had to learn how to read lips. And she said in order for you to read lips, you have to totally concentrate on the person who is speaking. You can't take your eyes off of them. And for some of you in this season, the reason that God has been quiet is because He wants your focus on nothing but Him. you got too many distractions. So God has shut up hoping you would put your eyes on Him. I've got to see your lips move. I need to receive a message from you. And Psalm 47 and 1 says, Come on, everybody. Clap your hands. Shout to God with a joyful praise. The King James Version says the voice of triumph. And some of you can't hear the voice of triumph because all you hear are the wild animals growling and snarling. Some of you can't hear the voice of triumph because all you hear is the temptation coming from the devil. Some of you can't hear the voice of triumph because all you hear is the wind blowing through your desert season. That's why you have to know how to create your own sound. You got to know how that when even that doesn't make sense, you got to learn how to clap your hands. That was your cue. You better do better than that or you ain't never getting out of your wilderness. And shout to the Lord with a joyful prayer. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Some of you can't hear God talking because he wants you to focus on him. Can you hear the voice of triumph? If you can't, then you have too many distractions. And God's trying to get your focus totally on him. I'm not going to meet you at this altar, but the Holy Ghost is. If that's you and you're serious about meeting God in this desert season, get out and come down here. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm clocking out. and am going home my work day is over because you don't need me you need to seek his face if you're going to hear from him in this season listen he is not going to send a prophet to your house to start prophesying of you I feel this in my spirit because he's trying to get your attention on him quit trying to take the easy path that's the devil's way showing you shortcuts well I'm gonna to go to this prophet and he's gonna give me a word nope not in this season Not in this season. In this season, God says, come and seek me. Seek my face to hear my message. Can you hear the voice of triumph? I want you to pray until you can hear the voice of triumph. I want you to pray until you can hear nothing but the sounds of angels' wings coming to minister to you. Prayer team, you can come and be a support to them. Got any staff in the room? I know we're light-handed this morning but if if you're here and you can come and just be a support Whew. do you hear the angels flapping their wings if you can't you haven't got there yet keep pressing in keep pressing in keep pressing in until you can hear the shout of triumph until you can hear your angels coming to rescue you keep pressing in keep pressing in keep, keep pressing in keep pressing in come on prayer team come on prayer team come and give them some support For am